It's time for the PowerMizzou.com podcast with interviews and analysis of your Missouri Tigers. Now, here's your host, Gabe DeArmond. Welcome back to another week of the PowerMizzou.com podcast. The regular season, what, 16 days away? Is that right? Oh, I, I, I'm Just not say sure. sure. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, that yeah right. 16 days away, I think. Uh, Missouri, Tennessee, Martin, everybody across the country will get going. We are doubling up on our opponent previews so that we can actually finish them before the season. So Mitchell Forty alongside me, Gabe DeArmond, and on the phone now from GatorsTerritory.com. That is the Florida site for the Rivals.com network. Jackie Franchuli covers Florida football. Jackie, how you doing today? I'm doing great, just like you, counting down the days for the practices to be over so we can start the season. Yeah, fans fans are always like, oh, camp's so exciting, and you get to watch practice every day. Look, watching two hours of practice every day is the worst part of the year. Yeah, and also because you get to all the speculation, and, you know, right. also it, how many times can you write that everybody feels good when, you know, <laughs> right. there's a lot of questions around the team. You just want, you know, I want to see them in live action now because I, they they can be fantastic in practice, but I want to know what happens when they're actually playing a live game. Yeah, everybody's in the best shape of their life. Um, everybody is competing and, and working very hard. That is even more true when a new coach comes in. So just what has uh, – Mullen mania been like for the first what I guess uh, you know six months. It certainly has been a roller coaster. Um, obviously, uh, fans were not happy with the old regime under Jim McElwain, so they wanted to change. Um, Dan Mullen knows the Florida fans so well just because he was here under Urban Meyer's defensive coordinator, so he knows the expectation. So when he went to his spring tour, he did a very good job of kind of bringing back those memories. He would mention Team Tebow a lot. He would mention Percy Harvin a lot. He mentioned about, you know, how he would go at halftime and everybody scored 40 points and fans would ask, are we going to score more points? This is boring. So he's, he's kind of playing to the fans. He's done a really good job of saying, we're going to try to score points. We're going to do this. Um, I, he, he said he didn't bring the joke like Jim McElwain said that, you know, Claire Bell, his dog, could coach quarterbacks. But he did bring Heisman to a couple of quarterbacks recruiting camps. So the dog has made an appearance like Jim McElwain, but I think he's brought in enthusiasm to the program. Um, the team has bought in, especially in the strength and conditioning program. That's something that Florida was not doing very well for the last few years. And you can already tell a difference in the physical of these guys. They've, you know, gained weight, but lost body fat. You can tell right away that their stamina has improved. Um, it was a hundred degree weather uh, the last few days for full pads and you can tell the guys were a lot better than they were even in spring. You, they weren't huffing and they weren't heavy breathing at almost compared to what they were in spring, and it was a lot hotter. Um, so you can see that has changed. Now, the one thing that fans are still not to completely please is recruiting. That has not really picked up for Dan Mullen. And you can argue that he's came in from behind, um, obviously, with the way recruiting pace has increased with the early signing period kind of changing the dynamic. So, but that's something where fans are still not hyped up about, but at least on the field stuff, they're all saying the right things. So fans are getting hyped up for the season. Jackie, you, you kind of touched on this a little bit, but uh, one thing I wanted to ask is, uh, you know, Dan Mullen, obviously known for his offense, and that's kind of been, you know, an issue at Florida over the last few years. Fans wanted to see uh, that team score more points. Do they have the pieces yet to to really see a difference this year, or are fans going to be a little disappointed maybe and that it might take longer than a year to, to get back to high-scoring ways? Well, the thing with Florida is they have the pieces 
in certain areas. So if you look at both the wide receiver group and the running back group, they probably have one of the two most talented groups out there. Um, just in the wide receivers, they added Van Jefferson and Trevon Grimes as transfers in the offseason. Those are both very talented wide receivers, and you're joining other talented wide receivers like Tyree Cleveland, who was the number one wide receiver in his class two years ago. So they do have the talent at wideout, and they have some, t- and they have great talent at running back. They have Jordan Scarlett back, who was suspended last year because of the credit card fraud case, and then he's returned. Then you've got Lamichael Pirine, who was their leading rusher last season. They they've also got Malik Davis, who was hurt halfway through the season last year with a knee injury. He's fully able and fully um, practicing with Florida. Um, so he's available, and he's one of their speediest runners, very different from the other guys on their team. And they also added two freshmen in Damian Pierce and Iverson Clement. So they have talent there. They just need to get the ball to them. That is the key. And that's where all the questions are. It's that quarterback. So right now it's a quarterback battle between Felipe Franks and Kyle Trask. I know fans really wanted Emory Jones to take the lead here as a freshman, but that's not going to happen. I think Jones has a long way to go there. But it is between Kyle Trask and Felipe Franks. Uh, Franks started last year. But Kyle Trask has done a really good job in practice. Again, it's practice. Um, the questions with him, he lacks experience. He hasn't started a game in, in the college level. He didn't start a game in high school. He was a backup quarterback in high school. So that is a question. How is he going to do under the lights for the first game at night at the swamp with 80,000 people out there? How is he going to handle that? How is he, how, how is he going to handle the pressure? Um, I will say the offense that Mullen runs does suit Kyle Trask better. Uh, Trask did play a spread offense during his high school days, and that's what Mullen likes to run. If I had to pick just out of who would fit better in the offense, out of Trask or Frank, I would pick Trask. Um, he's shown he's very accurate at practice. He's done really, really well. He seems to have really developed his game. He's gotten bigger under Nick Savage's strength and conditioning program. Um, Franks has done well in pads, the two practices that we were able to see. Um, and the only thing with him, again, it's mentally. Franks had a lot of ups and downs last season. And that's something where we won't know how Franks has developed until game day. Um, but um, Dan Mullen has not been too pleased from his uh, public um, responses whenever we asked him about quarterbacks. He said he expects more from his quarterbacks. And he was pretty honest. He said that this could be a one-year or two-year project before they know how to be a big-time uh, quarterback. Um, the only thing that I will say about Florida is they have such a good schedule that they could be win- they could be on a four-game winning streak, and that could help them before you know getting adjusted to the quarterbacks. They, char- they start with Charleston Southern this year, not Michigan in Texas. So that will certainly help these quarterbacks gain the conference in the first game. I'm going to talk about the schedule in a minute, but the one thing Florida's always had, even though it hasn't really been vintage Florida for a few years, is they've had a defense that can keep them in the vast majority of games. If he gets into a situation where he has to, is is this Florida defense equipped to win, you know, 17-14, 21-20 all year long? At this time, I don't think so. Um, I think the defense... Um, the last few years, you have to remember that Will Muschamp is such a great defensive coach, and he recruited well defensively for Florida during his time. Jim McWayne benefited from Will Muschamp's recruiting. He was able to recruit some of the best guys that they've ever had, uh, like Jared Davis, Alex Andaloni, uh, Marcus May, those guys, Quincy Wilson. All these guys were on Jim McWayne's team. Now, I'm not saying that you know, Will, uh, Jim McWayne didn't bring in some good guys and Dan Mullen's going to benefit, for example, the two corners in C.J. Henderson and Marco Wilson. Those are two great corners. But again, they're young. They're sophomores. 
Um, but they don't have the depth at cornerback. After those two, who they're gonna who are they gonna rely on? Right now, they have a freshman in Trey Dean and a sophomore in Brian Edwards. Both guys have not had much playing time. Um, and also, they're lacking depth and safety as well. So in the secondary, there's questions of numbers and uh, about experience back there. So that could be somewhere where they're susceptible in the first couple of games, especially when they're installing a new 3-4 scheme with their Todd Grantham. Um, linebackers this year, they're a little bit better depth-wise. Um, but again, they lack experience. Only two or three guys on that have played games. Um, their front is actually really good. They bring a lot of talent and they brought a lot of big guys that fit into, into Todd Grantham's system. And then guys like CC Jefferson will be moved more as a pass rusher. And I think those guys will be able to do well in the system. But the problem is again, the numbers, there's not in under previous Florida, the number two or number three, number four guy is still talented enough. So you can say he could be pushing for a starting role in some other position, in some other teams in the SEC East. Currently, you don't have that right now. And I think that's what the rotation doesn't have that much talent. I think that's where something where Dan Mullen and his crew are going to have to work around. Uh, you know, at, at SEC Media Days, one one thing that kind of struck me when talking to CC Jefferson was that he uh, kind of talked about the Missouri game last year, really sticking with him and being kind of, you know, a, a really embarrassing loss that in his personal case was uh, one of the reasons he came back to school. Do you, do you feel like... Kind of the whole team for the whole team that that game some one that they're gonna really remember from last year and could possibly uh, you know make this year's matchup with, with Missouri a little bit more personal for Florida. Yeah, no doubt. I think Missouri and Georgia were the two games that I've heard a lot of the players kind of say these are the two games that we're gonna be watch out for just because of what happened last year. Um, and you know for for them it's just about proving to themselves that that team does no longer exist. Um, I think that a lot of them just weren't mentally there towards the end of last season. Some of them told me that during that Georgia game, they were, so more, they were more worried about what was going on in social media with all the speculation around Jim McWayne that they didn't even you know, focus on the game, which, which you can tell during that Georgia game. And in Missouri, everything was just, you know, Randy Shannon was interim head coach, and just mentally they were all checked out. Um, they were tired. And that, again, goes back to the strength and conditioning program. Um, as well, they just said their body just wasn't there. Just there was one enough anymore. There was just so much noise around the program. Um, so I think this year, after everything, they just need to prove something to themselves. And guys like CC Jefferson, who chose to come back for one more year, that's where they felt like that's that's where they can really compare themselves and say, "Listen, this is where I was here last year. This is where I am this year, and I'm proving to myself that that was not me. That was not really me." Talking with Jackie Franchuli from Gators Territory. Just a couple more. Jackie, you mentioned the schedule. And, I mean, I look at Florida's schedule, and there's not a single game that I can look at and go, oh, well, that's that's clearly a loss. You know, I mean, they, mm-hmm. it, they're all pretty – I mean, Georgia, they always make a game of that. They get LSU at home, South Carolina at home, Missouri at home, Florida State's down. By the same token – there are a lot of games that you go, hey, if we see last year's Florida team, they can lose. I mean, as much as anybody in this division, I feel like the difference between the floor and the ceiling for Florida is just huge. No, I completely agree. And I think that's why I think Florida is going to be okay this season. I think Florida will be able to build momentum-wise, especially on a recruiting front for Mullen, because of their schedule. Um, and not, and also because they're not starting with a Michigan that is probably the most demoralizing loss that they had last year because they noticed the talent gap that they had, especially in the trenches. 
Um, so when you have when you have something like that, you lose the confidence right off your bat. At least the, this year with Charleston Southern, you're able to gain your confidence, especially when you're dealing with a quarterback battle that you have yet not named the starter. You're not confident in your guys at, under center, so you need that one game to kind of push forward. And again, the one game that I feel like the, the road games that I feel like could be hit or miss for Florida is Mississippi State. Obviously, that's going to be a lot of emotions with Mullen going back to Starkville. Um, and I think Mississippi State is very talented. And they have a lot of good guys in the trenches that I feel like Florida could be tested there. And, that, and plus the environment, again, you're looking at the quarterbacks. Are they mentally strong enough to deal with that type of environment in Starkville? Obviously, it's not going to be a happy party for Mississippi State fans. So they're going to have a lot of taunting in that. Um, so that's going to be the big question mark for me and Tennessee, Tennessee is the game where I feel like there's going to be your marker for Florida. These are two programs that have new coaches. Uh, the former regime didn't recruit as expected. Um, they both have questions around some of the same positions and, um, they're both trying to recruit the same type of players. So I feel like that is your benchmark for Florida. That's, that's where you're going to see how your, how your team stacks up is against Tennessee on the road. Jackie, uh, at least my last thing here, couldn't let you uh, get out of here without asking you about Urban Meyer, who is kind of the story of the college football world right now. Um, you know, obviously he won a couple national championships at Florida, but also left under somewhat strange circumstances. Uh, you know, as all this has unfolded uh, with him at Ohio State, how, how have the fans taken it? Are there a lot of, you know, people who, who still kind of revere Urban Meyer in Florida, or are they somewhat, you know, happy to, to see him in this mess? Um, honestly, um, after the way he left Florida and a lot of the, you know, off the field issues that came about with Urban Meyer, a lot of the fans aren't really in the, I'm going to protect Urban Meyer's reputation at, at all costs. This is not, that's not how the fans at, in, in Florida are really kind of focusing on this. They're, they're, they're not really saying that Urban Meyer is not at fault. Um, and I think even they were obviously a media day, that was within 24 hours of everything going down. Dan Mullen was asked a lot of questions about Urban Meyer and his relationship. Um, he kind of stayed away from it, as one expects, saying that he didn't really dive into the all the details of the case and um, that he was just, you know, praying for Urban Meyer. But, yeah, a lot of fans are just, you know, they're kind of saying, you know what, Urban Meyer's not from Florida anymore. And, you know, some of them are saying, well, you know, a lot of off-the-field issues happened at Florida. So a lot of them are we're kind of saying, well, this is kind of some things that we expected out of Urban Meyer. So that's, I feel like that's where the Florida fans are. Well, it's good to know there have been no uh, supportive rallies, at least in Gainesville. So, uh, you know, yeah, they're, no they're a step ahead of Ohio State. <laughs> All right, Jackie, appreciate it. We'll be uh, talking to you down the road a little bit uh, closer to when these two teams meet up again. Perfect. Thanks for having me on. Thanks, right. Jackie. Thanks a lot. Jackie Franchuli from GatorsTerritory.com and Real quick, before we move on to the next one, Florida's interesting. I mean, this is a program that, like, you know, it drives everybody nuts in Gainesville to be looking up at programs like South Carolina and Missouri, which is where they found themselves last year. Yeah, absolutely. You know, they have, you know, extremely fertile uh, recruiting territory. And, and even, you know, in, in the past few years when they've struggled, that I think they, you know, they recruited fairly well. But just the, uh, the, the offensive struggles, I think, made it a little bit more frustrating, too, just, you know, having, having, a lot of opportunities to to uh to score points and having to grind out you know 13 to 14 type wins is can can kind of take a toll on a fan base so i mean certainly they uh you know they have the potential to be you know 
I mean, we've seen it in this you know decade, a national championship type team. So we'll see if if Dan Mullen can do it. And I find it pretty interesting that Jackie thought Tennessee's the benchmark because, yeah. like, I look at Florida last year and I said, you know, I can see where they're maybe a coach away. Mm-hmm. Like, if if they get the right guy in within a year or two, they can be back to being really good. Right. I don't see that with Tennessee. Yeah, I agree. I mean, not that they can't get back, but like they're a lot farther away. I agree that you know Tennessee is certainly. I, I mean, I I don't think they're they're one of the better teams in the SEC East, quite honestly. <laughs> no. But I guess I mean in a way that that might reflect a little bit on Florida's schedule, just because I, that's like one of their toughest road games. Um, so we'll see. But I, I would definitely, you know, in my mind, think that maybe like South Carolina is a, is a more accurate benchmark. But uh, yeah, we'll see. I. I you know, don't have super high expectations for Tennessee this year, but we'll talk about that next week. So not Tennessee, but in the state of Tennessee, next up on our opponent previews, the Vanderbilt Commodores. We're bringing in Chris Lee from VandySports.com. Chris, how you doing, man? Excellent. You guys? Uh, doing all right. Doing well. um, you know, just uh, slogging through fall camp, uh, five down, many more to go. So uh, I know the drill. <laughs> yeah, we'll, we'll get there eventually. So, um, we've been previewing Missouri's, uh, Missouri's opponents were to Vanderbilt, which I believe is game 10, unless I did this out of order, which is not impossible. I may have <laughs> By the way, you, you're, I've been thinking about it ever since your 16 days to the season over thing was wrong. I think it's 23. Maybe it is. I don't know. <laughs> um, anyway, it, the season opener's in a while. Vandy <laughs> opens with Middle Tennessee. Um, Chris, I'm just glancing at Vandy's schedule. Like, I think it's, it's a drill now at SEC Media Days, like, Look, are you going to pick Vanderbilt sixth or seventh? That's just what people do. They they pick it on the name. I'm looking at Vandy's schedule. Like this sets up that this could be a seven or eight win team pretty easily, doesn't it? The schedule would suggest that they get. Of course, they're in the East, which is the the easier of the two divisions, and they get the two teams that are picked last in the West: Arkansas, which is going through a major scheme change and wasn't very good last year to begin with, and Ole Miss, which I think is it's really going to be an offensive juggernaut, but defense uh, may give up as many as they score. I, I think that, yes, I think in that regard, they didn't get the toughest schedule in the world. They've also got three games that I think that they will win out of conference in MTSU, who they've beaten pretty solidly the last two years. Nevada, which I think won two games a year ago, although it'll be better. And Tennessee State, which you know, even when Vanderbilt's bad, it does not lose games to FCS teams. Notre Dame, I think, is out of the question. But, yeah, there's some there's some games there for the taking. Uh, Chris, uh, you know, one, one thing that kind of stuck with me uh, from hearing Derek Mason speak at, at SEC Media Days was he, he was pretty, uh, you know, gung-ho about saying, you know, don't count out Vanderbilt. Uh, you know, I know we're kind of an overlooked team sometimes, but, but this year is going to be different. Is that something, uh, you know, that he has continued to say since, and is that something that has resonated at all, or are people still, you know, just kind of uh, waiting, going to wait and see if if this team can build some momentum early in the season? Well, that's something he says every year, okay. and <laughs> sometimes he's he's right. Um, you know, they're, they're the last couple teams I think have done a little better than people expected. Maybe not last year's, but certainly two years ago. The, the question I have is does he have the defense to pull it off? They gave up an all-time SEC record for points allowed in conference play. They have had some issues in camp. Now, I think their offense has got a chance to be pretty good by Vanderbilt standards and certainly fun to watch. I think that the offense and the schedule give them a chance. 
I mean, I don't think they're going to be a, a two-win team. Vegas has set the over-under at four. As you guys pointed out, the schedule allows for some opportunities, but they're going to have to score a lot of points because I think, like Ole Miss, they're going to give up a lot. If if Derek Mason wins four with this schedule, is he safe? <laughs> I still know what is what around there anymore. There was a <laughs> pretty large article in the Tennessean yeah. last week uh, that had sort of outlined – their their commitment or lack thereof to football, and I think that that was extremely accurate. It lines up with what I have seen for years. Uh, there were rumors that they were going to replace David Williams as their athletic director uh, this off season, who frankly is is not only maybe the highest paid AD in the country, but if there's a worse AD in Power Five right now than David, I would like to see who that is. Um, I, I don't know. And, and that's the thing. They should have made that move in the off season because there's a chance they'll have to make a change. Their women's basketball program is a mess. Uh, I, I talked to somebody yesterday who would would very much know as much as anybody, and he has been hinting for a while that David's tenure isn't, I guess, too much longer, that maybe a resignation is coming this season. But here we are, school's about to start. He's still there. Um, I, I don't know that you can get an AD in place, even if he resigned today. I guess you could, but I'm sorry for my long-winded answer. I guess what I'm getting at is he's still the AD today. I, I don't know that you want to replace a football coach right before you replace an AD. So I think if if they're really, really bad, they may not have a choice. But that, to me, is is why I hesitate to say, absolutely, yeah, if they win four or fewer, uh, they'll make a move. Chris, we're not going to be able to have keep having you on the podcast if you keep giving us wishy-washy answers like he's the worst AD in the country. <laughs> we, we, need, well, we, we need some fire have, you here. To, you have to realize <laughs> I, I'm in a totally different situation than everybody else. So it's yeah. I, I feel like I'm, you know, you guys are living on Earth and, you know, van, covering Vanderbilt is out there kind of like being on Mars or maybe another galaxy whatsoever. There, so there have the been plenty of times. Be obvious other places. There, <laughs> there have been plenty be of times covering Missouri in the last few years that did not seem like we were living on planet Earth. <laughs> but that's kind of for no, different reasons. You and I have had some text exchanges yeah. about that. You have had the, I think over the last five years, if there's been a crazier power five beat in the country, uh, maybe old Miss, but but yeah. you're. I think you you might you guys may take the cake. <laughs> Getting back to uh, the football field a little bit. I know that you know Kyle Shermer, the Vanderbilt quarterback, is you know he's he's got some experience. He's put up some numbers in the past, but he's not really been talked about a whole lot as a, as a guy you know as a returning quarterback in the SEC usually would. Uh, how good is Kyle Shermer? Is he good enough to you know? put this team on his back and, you know, go get the points they need if the defense struggles? Or, you know, what's kind of his ceiling? I think a lot of other years, and this is a bad year to be a quarterback in the SEC. You've got Drew Locke and Jared Stidham and just a lot of good quarterbacks across the league. I think a lot of years Kyle would have been one of the best two or three quarterbacks in the league, but not this year. I think he's a kid who's got a shot to make an NFL roster. I don't know that I see him starting but I think he's going to make a roster one day potentially. He needs to improve his accuracy, and he's not very mobile, but he's pretty good. Uh, he set a school record for touchdown passes last year. I, I think at times, um, like you said, can he carry a team? Maybe. I think when they go up-tempo offense and, and really need something, 
in a hurry. He's really good in that format. I've been worried about his receiving core coming into this year, but from what I've seen in camp, they've got some new kids who can step up and help him. Yeah, I think he's got a chance to have a really good senior year, and I thought his junior year was pretty good. All right, Chris, so if I'm running down Vanderbilt's schedule, like I'm pretty confident, I don't bet, but I would be pretty confident putting money on the fact that through six games, they're going to be three and three. They'll beat Middle Tennessee, Nevada, Tennessee State. They'll probably lose to Notre Dame, South Carolina, and Georgia. But then you got the second half of this season. They host Florida. They're at Kentucky, host Arkansas, at Missouri, host Ole Miss, at Tennessee. Of those six games, which one's the one that kind of tells you, hey, this is where this team's at. I mean, which one of those games in the second half of the season do you look at and say, if they win this, they go one way. If they lose it, they've gone the other way. Probably either Kentucky or Ole Miss. I think Kentucky has got that power run game, and it's it's a decently even matchup, even though Kentucky beat them pretty badly a year ago. Ole Miss is not expected to be one of the better teams in the league, but like I said, they can score. Look, I think they'll beat Tennessee – They've beaten Tennessee the last two years. I don't really understand why they're picked behind Tennessee in the preseason poll this year, uh, especially because the they, Vols they send a lot of fans to media. Day. I mean, reporters that's, to media. That's day. true. That's true. And, and and they were and that game was was a mismatch last year at the end. But yeah, I think I think it's one of those two games. I think Missouri Missouri's defense got better, and they're just so powerful offensively. I think Missouri should beat Vanderbilt. I wouldn't, I wouldn't count Vanderbilt out in that game, but I think Kentucky and Ole Miss are probably the two barometer games there. Chris, uh, you know we we've talked about this a little bit about just kind of the somewhat strange situation that the Vanderbilt football finds itself in. You know, it, it, in your experience, what what do you feel like is the ceiling for for Vanderbilt football? What you know, if they were to hire a new coach or stick with derivation, what's the, what's the best fans can hope for? That's a great question because everybody, including myself, assumed for a long time that you know maybe once or twice every 10 years you get lucky, maybe you can squeak out six or seven wins and get to a bowl game. That is what we thought the upside was. And then James Franklin came in his first year, took over a team that had been absolutely miserable, uh, and none of us, I don't think, thought they had a shot at a bowl game. Went six and seven darn near beat a couple of ranked teams in close games that were losses, and then won nine games each of the next two years and ranked in the top 25. To me, that really shattered the expectation of what they can be. And and this is the important context, guys. They made a series of decisions in 1960, uh, right around then, to basically, I'm not going to say dismantle football, but the SEC had gone, I think, to unlimited scholarships or a bigger limit or something along those lines. They reduced their number of scholarships by 10 and I think reduced the number of coaches. So right while everybody was gearing up, they decided to gear down. They have never recovered from that. And the reason I think the Franklin year tenure is important, that three years was really the first time that they started trying. They built an indoor practice facility that cost about $30 million, which nobody ever thought would get done because he pushed. Nobody thought they'd win the games at the level that they won. I think over his last two years, if I'm correct, I think they won more games in the SEC maybe than anybody but Alabama. If not, they were right up there. And my my point is, yeah, they've won 18% of their games since 1960 in the SEC. That would suggest that they can never win. But when they tried, they did stuff that none of us thought was possible. And I, I point to their baseball program, which was as bad as their football program 
has been for the last 60 years until Tim Corbin got there. Now they're a national power. Now they've won a national title. They've won several SEC titles. Now, football is different, but my point is I think it's hard to say how good they can be until they really try, which they're not trying right now at all. Um, And I think the little glimmer of hope that James Franklin gave them tells me that it's not a lost cause. They've got to get some better leadership in there who will really start doing the things that they need to do. All right, Chris, I want to finish you up with this. Uh, is the one, one sport that we know Vanderbilt can be good at because they have been in the past is basketball. Bryce Drew, I, I just took a look at last year's recruiting rankings. Technically, it's the number 12 class in the country, but if you go by average star rating, there's Kentucky and Duke at 4.8, and then Vandy and North Carolina both signed two five-stars and a four-star. I've got to imagine the next three months, more than anything, are a countdown for Vandy fans to see this team. Is there a lot of excitement among the fan base for for Bryce Drew's year this year? Oh, no doubt. And you guys went through this last year covering Missouri. They've got a kid who is probably the best point guard in the country coming in, Darius Garland. Yeah, I've seen him play, and he is really good. Boy, he's he's dynamic. He can he can score. He can drive. He's long. He's angular. Um, he gets the ball to teammates. He's unselfish. He's going to be really good. I think they'll have him one year. They've got a center named Simi Chatu. <laughs> this is a great story. Um, you know Sean Williams. He he splits time yes, for our side is. and your side. I sent Sean and and my other recruiting guy David Sisk to um, the Georgia circuit last year to, to watch those kids in camp. And that's always when we're trying to figure out who Vanderbilt's targeting and such. And so they go down there and they talk to about 12 kids that they've been mentioned with. They get video interviews and and, and they get the phone numbers of these kids. And there's one kid that they just kind of looked at each other and and just said, don't bother. We're not going to get his number because he's not coming to Vandy. (laughs) (laughs) They'd seen him play. And and, and this kid, the first time he put the ball on the floor – split a double team and dunked on somebody. And David looked at Sean and said, I don't know who that kid is, but that kid is an NBA lottery pick right there. Well, the kid they were talking about turned out to be the kid they interviewed, who was the kid whose phone number they didn't bother to get because they're like, don't bother. Well, that's Simi Chateau. And he is potentially the best talent they've had in the history of the program. Wow. Uh, no, he hurt his knee at the end of December, and he's making his way back from knee surgery. I've heard that it's gone really well. They expect him at full strength to start the season, but we'll see. He's, he's gotten comparisons from basketball people to to Kevin Garnett. So that tells you right there the kind of talent he is. The third kid they got is Aaron Neesmith, who was a player year in South Carolina. I have heard that they don't think he will be around for four years because he's pretty good too. He's an elite shooter and an athlete off the wing, and I think you add them to Saban Lee, and they got two transfers who sat out in the front court, Matt Ryan and Yanni Wetzel, who are pretty good players and skilled shooters. I, I think they've got a couple more parts there, uh, and it's going to be a very interesting year this year. All right, Chris, I know I said that was the last one, but I want to give you a chance to do a little uh, familial bragging here. We are actually going to see you in Columbia before the Vanderbilt game, I believe, uh, coming in for Wyoming. You've got a uh, got a connection there, right? Yeah, I'm I'm looking forward to that. It'll be the first time in a while that I've been able to sit in the stands uh, for a college football game. And no offense to Missouri fans, I root for you guys, uh, but but I won't be that day. My nephew is going to be a receiver in the rotation for Wyoming. His name is Aiden Everhart. 
Uh, if you saw Josh Allen's pro day on the NFL Network, he was a tall, blonde-haired kid catching a bunch of passes, and he was a walk-on two years ago and got called into the coach's office this summer and was awarded a scholarship on the spot. So we're really proud of him. He has been running some first and second team, and I think uh, I'll get to see him play in Columbia. And I'm, I'm skipping a home game here at Vanderbilt and got my guys on it, but just really excited to see my nephew play in Columbia and, and can't wait to make that trip and to, and to be in that stadium for the first time. And Hope to hang out with you guys a little bit before and after, too. For sure, and uh, we will definitely root for Aiden that day. For selfish reasons, uh, I simply can't have Missouri lose to Wyoming and have to cover the last 10 games of this year. <laughs> so I hope your nephew does really well, but Missouri goes ahead and wins the game so my life doesn't suck for the next two and a half months. Gabe, if there's anybody that understands it, it's me. <laughs> <laughs> Chris, I appreciate it, man. We'll talk to you down the road. Thanks, Chris. Thanks so much. All right, Chris Lee, VandySports.com. He, he does a great job covering Vanderbilt. Um, you know, they cover a lot of baseball and basketball because, like, I don't know how else to say it. Vanderbilt doesn't – they're in the SEC and they don't care about football. Yeah, that's what he said. You know, as he said they're not – they're still not even really trying. That Tennessean article that, that uh, he referenced was about how basically they had had – plans to uh you know expand their football facility and just decided now we don't want to do that anymore and cut the funding so i mean it's just you know it it's kind of wild and you know everyone else in in power five is going the other way with this arms race to develop new facilities and vanderbilt's just going the other way until everybody spends all their money Yeah, yeah yeah but i mean missouri fans think their facilities are outdated vandy last updated it in 1981 i mean i was five yeah and i'm I'm not that young. Yeah. yeah. So. But I, I feel like it was a little interesting to his point that, like, if they try in some sports, they really – they have some advantages of, one, yeah. the great, you know, academic I, reputation, and two, Nashville's pretty fun. I mean, look, I, I have a friend who uh, – his daughters visited Vandy last week, and, and he said they loved it. I said, you're an idiot if you visit Vandy and don't love it. Like, yeah. it is a great place. If you can get into school there and they offer you a scholarship, like, I don't – Search is over, man. <laughs> I mean, good for you. Uh, all right, so we should talk about Missouri a little bit. Um, this is because this is what we do. It's like camp, and there's not exciting things that happen all that often. Like, we make things like Derek Dooley saying you're pissing him off uh, <laughs> exciting things. Uh, I thought that was it, exciting. It I was wasn't funny. there for that <laughs> yeah. part of it. Like, was he? did he legitimately seem irritated, or was it kind uh, of an act? I think it was a little bit of both. I think I, I think he was a little bit irritated, but I think also he's just a colorful dude. Like, yeah. and like, like not trying to like you know say I unfairly attacked or anything. It was it was all in good fun. But like, it, I think part of it was also he was asked a similar question like two two questions before then. So I think he just I think he actually is one of those coaches who is like. I, you know, I'm, I'm not going to just give you these fluff answers. Right. Like you're asking me who's looked the best. We just have it's seen them in one. full pads for one day. So I don't know. Stop asking. <laughs> yeah. And, and I appreciate that because like we ask and you know, it's a stupid question. No, yeah. The question you asked him wasn't a stupid question, but like, <laughs> well, well I, like on day one, somebody says, you know, what do you think of, I don't even know who it was this guy. Well, I don't know. It's day one. Yeah. I, I don't know what I think of him. Yeah. And, and, you know, that's just part of, of camp. Cause I, I mean, I, you know, we can only I mean, write we about Drew. We can only write about Drew Lock so many times, so we got to start asking about the other guys. So, yeah, I mean it's it's how it works, and you know, like uh, like Jackie said, you know, everyone's everyone's in the best shape of their life. Everyone's great. Everything's good. So yeah, we'll, we we uh yeah we need the games to start at and, some point. Yeah, we we warned you before camp by reading our message board. It fell completely on deaf ears. Like, <laughs> look, things are going to change. I, I mean, 
a, a kid who we start out camp thinking, hey, this kid has really has a chance, might get passed up. It doesn't mean he's terrible. It doesn't mean the guy who passed him up is going to win the Heisman. It could change again. So it, take everything with a grain of salt. We're, we're, we're doing the best we can, but we got a lot of content to fill. And, uh, you know, you, ju- you just can't take every single day's coverage as a, as a referendum on the season. Uh, so for the record, by the way, I'm doing this podcast in my Tevas, which I didn't <laughs> understand would be such an issue for yeah, people. That was, that was a big, a whole I mean, big thing. Yeah, We bought them to, I, I took a trip to Hawaii earlier this year. We wanted comfortable shoes to walk around in. I, I thought it was fine. Are you going to tell everyone about your, your injury? Uh, no, the injury's gone. I oh, took okay. care of it. Oh, well, I thought, it, yeah. it was it, it had a sore ankle. You know, yeah. I thought I might be getting gout, but it's taken care of just in time to uh, to go to St. Louis and walk 18 miles to watch people hit a little white ball. Um, so I want to warn you guys, there is going to be breaking news on this beat on Saturday. Yeah. Because Mitchell and I will both be at Bell Reeve unable to check our phone. So something's I mean, happening Saturday. Yeah. I, yeah. We'll see. I I don't know. I, uh, We'll make it work. I'm, I'm not. I might whip out the whip out the cell phone on the golf course. Actually, I don't think you're even allowed to have your phone really out, or out on the golf course. You so cannot it's... check. Uh. You can't use it within a hundred yards of competition. Yeah, it's a well, hundred we'll feet or a hundred yards. I don't know. Find yeah. out. Yeah, I mean, you know, if it, if you all might just have to wait twenty four hours. Somebody to told me there's on. a vodka tent there. I'll duck in there and use my phone <laughs> in there. Um, so I have three. Like, look, we both love golf. So if you guys hate golf, turn it off right now. That's yeah. fine. We got a few minutes left. Uh, Major championship is in St. Louis, so we're going to talk about it for a minute, and we both get to go. Um, I have three. Round one is about halfway through right now. I have three thoughts based on where things are right now. I don't care if he wins. I don't care if he plays well. I want to be able to say I saw Tiger Woods hit a shot in person. Mm -hmm. I would like Tiger Woods to make the weekend. He's Mm -hmm. plus one right now after being plus three through two holes. I just want him to be there. I don't care if he's any good. Yep. Yeah. We'll see. He's he's been so mercurial this year. He's you know one day he looks like he has it, the next day like today cannot. Or or even one nine he has it, and the next exactly. So we'll see. I still kind of expect scores to go lower. It's obviously early. I think half the field still hasn't even teed off. But like from what I was seeing this morning, the course is super soft so i expect there's to be some some real low numbers and so yeah, hope, yeah we'll see hopefully he's, yeah i agree hopefully he's playing on the weekend ricky fowler last i looked is leading the tournament four under through 16 holes i'm here for ricky fowler breaking through and winning his well, first here's, major i'd here's, like that as a someone who has attended a major in the past with him in contention here's something you should know if he is in contention he will choke. no no not even <laughs> that no it's not where it's going he has an army of orange clad children following him everywhere all, all young. They're, they're, his fans are all like average age of like twelve, and they're all oh, wearing so. orange, and they are just like a, like a stampede around I, him around the course. So you got to watch out for that. I am older than twelve and did not pack <laughs> any orange clothing. So, uh, okay, now here's my third thought. I don't know if you'll identify with this one as much. Stewart Sink is a shot off the lead. Stewart Sink needs to fade before Saturday, because the 2009 British Open scarred me for life to the point where if Stewart Sink is in contention and I am there, like I might. Get arrested. Yell something in his backswing. I I might like try Chuck to. I might out. tackle. <laughs> yeah, I mean, I I know I know. It, it, whatever happens, it wouldn't go well. Uh, like, certainly, yeah. you're not allowed to boo at a golf tournament. I think I would want to boo if he is winning the tournament. Yeah, I don't. I I know the tournament. Obviously, the British Open you're referring to it didn't scar me really at all for life. But I, uh, it, you know, I, I I understand that. I feel like I mean, I feel like I'm more strongly dislike most golfers than like them. I feel like that's part of the fun of golf is having yeah. very personal, uh, you know, rooting interest about a single person and usually wanting them to choke because that's more fun. Yeah, I so. mean, obviously that was the the Tom Watson uh, turn. And like I told a friend this morning, 
Had Tom Watson won that British Open, it is the greatest sports story of my lifetime. Not, I'm not saying it's the best story ever, just from a personal yeah. standpoint. Um, so, like, look, I, I was a Missouri fan and watched Tyus Edney, watched the fifth down, covered the, the kickball game against Nebraska. Like, all of that pales in comparison to how upset I was on that Sunday. So, what's your version of that? Like, the worst day you've had as a sports fan? Uh, I think I even talked about it on here before, but the the year the Broncos lost to the Ravens in the in the playoffs, right. and it got a lot better when they won the Super Bowl a couple years later. But that that year, they had they had Peyton Manning, and no one knew how long he was still going to be able to do it. And they were the the better team, and they lost in double overtime on a crazy fluke play. And to make it much more personal, uh, my father had just told us earlier that day, and that's why they lost. He had told my brother and I, if they win this game, I'm going to start looking for Super Bowl tickets. I I told my family in 2007 when Missouri was getting ready to play Oklahoma, if they win, we're all going to the national championship game. Like, we can't afford it. It's a terrible decision, but we're going to do it because it might never happen again. Right. They did not win that game. Yeah, same idea. Jinx, it's okay. So so we let Chris do some some family bragging. Mitchell has no idea I'm going to bring this up. You can (laughs) tell me to shut up if you want to, but your father, you mentioned him, is in Tokyo. Your sister has qualified for the swimming world championships. Yeah. It seems like a big deal. It is. It is. It's very exciting. It's it's the, how the qualifications for all these various meets works is really confusing. I won't get into it, but basically she, uh, she just finished her freshman year at Stanford. She, uh, qualified for a meet out in Tokyo. That's where she is right now, the Pan Pacific championships. And, uh, between her performance at nationals a couple weeks ago and this meet she has secured a spot in korea next summer for the world championships only two american swimmers in each event uh I, all age groups get to uh get to go to that meet so really exciting so Maybe we I'll will have to go a gofundme page yeah. set up shortly for mitchell to go to tokyo i guess <laughs> that'd uh, be cool I, I feel like stanford is another stanford's the other place besides vandy like to me if they offer you a scholarship and you have the grades to get in, like you just quit oh, talking to yeah, everybody. Yeah, absolutely. But Stanford's also like really good at all sports. So, right. Yeah, yeah, that, yeah. They have that going as well. You've got, you've got to be decent uh, in the classroom and on the field or whatever to get in there. But um, we have now wasted 43 minutes of everyone's <laughs> day. Um, we will finish up our opponent previews next week with Tennessee and Arkansas. Um, both of which I think have fan bases who are assuming 11 and one is their birthright and Mm -hmm. they're right back on track. Sounds good. Yeah. (laughs) All right. So thanks for listening. Um, stay tuned Saturday for whatever news is going to break, which we won't be able to cover. And we'll talk to you next week.